This podcast is brought to you by EverythingVoluntary.com. Voluntary principle states that all human relations should happen by mutual consent or not at all. This podcast aims to promote respect for the voluntary principle in all walks of life and for all age groups. My name is Skylar Collins, and this is Everything Voluntary. The Ron Paul Homeschool Curriculum is a self-directed education trove for ages 5 to adult. Students will learn all about economics, history, mathematics, science, and even business and personal finance. To sign up for the Ron Paul Homeschool Curriculum, please use our special link at ronpauleducation.com. That's ronpauleducation.com. Uh, before we start the episode, I want to invite you to join me as a featured guest. I'd love to chat and get to know you and give you this platform to bounce your ideas around. To schedule... Go to the main website at everythingvoluntary.com. On the right-hand side, there's a link to schedule with me immediately. Click that link, select a day and time, answer the questions, and submit. That's all it takes. Thank you so much. Hello and welcome to the podcast. It's November 7th. I'm going to look at a couple of my past articles, one from August 2011 and the second from May 2018. Before I do that, I just wanted to say this was supposed to be a news current events episode, but those are really difficult to do because scrolling through news feeds is generally difficult because most news is bad news, and it's kind of depressing to sit there and read through headlines one after another that are just absolute shit. <laughs> and especially right now... um so many news items, especially here nationally, are just all about the recent election that the U.S. had. That's as far as the presidential election and maybe some some other races are still not even concluded. And it's it's funny because you have – so after the 2016 election, you had the Hillary supporters and everybody on the left conspiracy theorizing about election fraud causing her upsetting defeat. And these days, it's totally switched to where it's Trump people and everyone on the right conspiracy theorizing about different kinds of election fraud, voter fraud, mail-in fraud, blah, blah, blah. And so now you've got the right upset about that. <laughs> and it's just so incredibly annoying. It's so incredibly annoying to see so many people so into this sort of thing. People who have no control over any of it. People who don't realize just how horrible both people are and both ideologies are to things like liberty and property and ultimately love and compassion and so on and so forth, right? All of the virtues, all of the, the good things about humanity are totally destroyed when it comes to politics. Politics is divisive and destructive. They are, in a, in a sense, anti-human. It's an anti-human institution. But uh, it is what it is, I guess. So we get through it. Um, 
and we just go on. All right, so here's the first essay. It's titled Scarcity and Property Rights. It's from August 2011. It is a simple fact that our world is a world of scarcity. That is, human wants exceed the amount of usable resources to satisfy them. This is not to say that usable resources are not being discovered or that humans, human wants won't change. Of course, change happens. Oil was once considered a nuisance, but now it's considered a usable good. When people need the same resources to satisfy their wants, we call these economic goods, conflict ensues. This is what economists call the economic problem. How are things to be produced and the factors of production allocated in a world of scarcity? There are ways of handling conflict over scarce resources. People can fight over them, and to the victor go the spoils. Or people can reason. They can use the resource between their ears to come up with ways of ending, reducing, and preventing conflict, leading to the creation of wealth and prosperity. One of these ways has been through the formulation of a theory of property rights. Every school of economic thought today recognizes that we live in a world of scarcity and that property rights are a necessary tool in avoiding conflict. In other words, they are all trying to solve the economic problem. Here are some resources to better understand scarcity and property rights. So then I link to a few things by economists. And then I go on. What each of these resources will explain is the fact that we live in a world of scarcity. If we didn't, we'd have, to, we'd have no use for the study of economics or a theory of property rights. Through economic progress, scarcity is transformed into abundance. Things become abundant because human beings figure out ways to improve their processes and reduce their costs. When government creates artificial scarcity, as they do with schemes like licensing laws, economic regulations, and patent and copyright protections, progress is stifled. One final point. To argue that God has made for us a world of abundance and that everything is plentiful is to demonstrate a fundamental misunderstanding of the above. Yes, God has made for us a world of abundance, but we have yet to completely discover it. It's all there, just waiting for us. But until economic progress advances to the point that, every, that everything anybody will ever want can be had in abundance, it's a little silly to insist that we don't live in a world of scarcity. And remember, the way to abundance is a market free from government intervention. All right, so this wasn't exactly a, an in-depth <laughs> explanation of scarcity and property rights and economics and so on and so forth. But it was a little something, I guess. Um, I talked about this recently, um, I think in episode 412, which was a Quora episode. The question is economics, the study of how a society is. I, I believe I went into what economics studies, and that's scarce resources that have alternative uses. And I talked about what scarcity is and how it affects us. I don't know that I talked about property rights so much, but I did say in this essay that one way we've tried to figure out how to mitigate the sting of scarcity is through the creation of property rights. And property rights have emerged in different ways in different places all around the world. I like I like some of the stories you can read out of the Old West, right? How cattle ranchers um, had conflicts and disputes over land, and how they settled that, or how miners who were moving west had disputes over um, where where they mined and what they were mining and how they settled some of that. Later on, some of those uh, mechanisms were codified in, in Nevada law, for example. But just, just the idea of property rights is, is very interesting to me, right? Everybody has, no matter what your political ideology is, everybody has some theory of property rights. 
Okay, it doesn't matter if you're Marxist or Keynesian or capitalist or mutualist or Georgist or whatever. Okay, everybody has some theory on how scarce resources should be or could be uh, distributed or assigned property property rights in those resources could be assigned in some way. And of all the various ways that I've read about, the only way that makes sense to me, both in terms of being totally rational, but also in terms of having the greatest chance of reducing conflict over scarce resources, is self-ownership and original appropriation. Anything else amounts to somebody else coming after the fact and insisting on a property right in, in some resource in stark contradiction to whoever originally appropriated the resource, right? And if, and if that sort of thing is allowed, then there's no end to it, right? Somebody could always come later, claim a property right in some resource in stark contradiction to the person who came before. Right, it's either original appropriation or it's total insecurity, and it and it really doesn't matter what the resource is if it's fixed, if it's movable, or if it's immovable, if it's land or if it's something else, if it's um, whatever you're mining out of the ground, if it's oil, whatever you happen to be growing. Either the original appropriator is given the title of owner with all of its accompanying uh, rights centered on the exclusive right of control over said resource, and that title given to them by everybody else, right? These are not titles that exist in nature. These are mental constructions that that eventually are social constructions when the rest of society accepts it. And if society does not accept self-ownership and original appropriation, then, like I said, you have insecurity. If nobody feels secure in exercising their property rights over their scarce resources, right, no matter what they're used for, whether they're, they're, they're personal items or items to be used to produce other items, you know, business-based items, economic items, economic goods, then the types of decisions that people make over the use of these resources become totally skewed. They become totally different kinds of decisions, right? If there's no longer any any level of guarantee that these resources will be recognized by the rest of society as their resources, and 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 that means no trespassing and hands off. Then they're not going to make long term plans with the resources, and what you end up doing is preventing economic growth. And in many cases, you could retard whatever progress has been made. Okay, any progress that has been made has necessarily been made on this idea of property rights, self ownership, original appropriation based property rights. And when, when society moves away from that, pro- whatever progress, whatever economic growth has occurred can be retarded. It can start to disappear and go backwards. Society can become, de- civilization can become decivilized, as it were. So this really, really matters. And whenever you're talking to somebody who's not, you know, not a libertarian or doesn't, you know, doesn't really think about these things, it might be a good idea to put on your Socratic hat and ask them about what they think about scarcity, how they understand it, and what are the ways they favor in mitigating its effects, in deciding who gets to control what, and then just just hit on the inconsistencies in that. And maybe some people could be brought around to this idea of 
self-ownership, which is, is probably fairly easy to, to convince people of, first. And second, original appropriation. So there's a, um, there's a really good resource. I've never linked to this before. Let me find it here really quick. There's a really good resource that Stefan Kinsella put together that goes through all sorts of things to ultimately conclude the rationality and the, the correctness, if you will, of original appropriation and self-ownership. Let me find this, and I'll link to this. Okay, so I found it. It's, it's, it's on the Mises blog. It's pretty long. It's from August 2007, and it's titled Thoughts on the Latecomer and Homesteading Ideas, or Why the Very Idea of Ownership Implies that Only Libertarian Principles are Justifiable. And it's and it's really long, and he's he's quoting a lot of different people, and he's really bringing out a lot of ideas, and he's also deconstructing a lot of ideas from Locke, from objectivism, I believe, from Hoppe, um, and it and it really comes together in this argument that that like he says, why the very idea of ownership implies that only libertarian principles are justified. Only the principles of self-ownership and original appropriation actually work. Everything else is a contradiction. Everything else is contradictory. Everything else is unworkable in both a rational sense as well as in a practical sense. If the goal is a reduction or an elimination of conflict over scarce resources. Okay. All right. So I'll, let me keep that up here. I'll link to that. That's really good. Okay. Let's go on to the next article. This one's called Involuntarily Celibate, Clever Rhetorical Trick. This is from May 2018. I heard the phrase involuntarily celibate recently as a way of describing oneself. It was on the context of a man who had a grievance against women for not sleeping with him. Considering the ins and outs of this phrase was a near total mindfuck. That doesn't happen very often these days, so I absolutely must tell you all about it. Obviously, this person is not choosing to be celibate. As he puts it, his celibacy is completely involuntary. The women he's encountered, and I suppose propositioned, have made it clear that he's not worth their while. And since that's an injustice, Mr. Involuntarily Celibate is a victim. This is the origin of the fray of the name incel. This is just a little aside. If you've heard incel, that's short for involuntarily celibate. Okay. So this was just after the time that that became sort of a thing <laughs> that people were talking about. Okay, let me continue. What a clever rhetorical trick. I must admit he had me feeling sympathy for his plight. That poor, poor man can't find any woman on the face of the earth to sleep with him. I'm sure he's tried convincing a prostitute for an agreeable sum of his hard-earned money, all to no avail. What is wrong with people? Why won't they sleep with this man? And then it occurred to me just how often this rhetorical trick is employed. Here are a few examples of grievances of this nature. Involuntarily poor. Since other people won't give me money or trade with me for my labor, I'm poor, but not of my own choosing. Involuntarily sick. Since other people won't treat my illness, and I don't know how, I'm sick all the time, but not of my choosing. Involuntarily lonely. Since other people won't spend time with me, I'm a loner, but not of my choosing. Just writing these has me feeling sympathy for these poor, poor victims of circumstance. Why should anyone be poor in our world of material abundance? Why should anyone be sick in our world of medical abundance? Why should anyone be lonely in our world of social abundance? That anybody is poor, sick, or lonely in our world of abundance is a manifest injustice that must be corrected by any means possible. And these means must be political and legal in nature. There's simply no other way to help the poor 
the sick, and the lonely than by passing laws designed to correct these injustices. Universal basic income will fix the problem of being involuntarily poor. Universal health care will fix the problem of being involuntarily sick. Making it illegal to live alone will force loners together and their loneliness will evaporate. And what about involuntarily, involuntary celibacy? Universal sex care, I suppose, is the only answer to the most serious of problems. Nobody should be without sex. Everyone must pay their fair share to funding the administration of universal sex care so that everyone has a sexual partner when they need it. Such is good and noble in our world of abundance. When rhetorical, rhetorical tricks lead to government policy, hold on to your wallets. <laughs> okay, I forgot. I forgot that I wrote this in, in that um, sarcastic tone. <laughs> but it's, it's really good, I think. This idea, I mean, it is, and I've got this picture of this neckbeard fedora-wearing fat dude. A lot of people see as, you know, that's that's the internet's version of a libertarian. It's the internet's version of a lot of different people. It's my version of an involuntarily celibate, I guess, of an incel, right? This is this is such a such a pathetic such a pathetic thing that any person, man or woman, would complain that other people won't fuck them. It's just it is it is the height of pathetic. It truly, truly is. Now, maybe I don't have any grounding to stand on because I'm married with three kids and I fuck all the time. <laughs> this is not an issue for me. So maybe I can't empathize with this. I mean, at, at one point I could when I was younger, before I had sex, I didn't have sex and I couldn't just have it when I wanted it. I'd have to work for it. Is that an injustice? Is it an in, is it an injustice that anybody has to work to convince somebody to have sex with them, or does it only become an injustice injustice after all your hard work is met is met with pointing fingers at you and giggling, right? Where when does the injustice set in? When does one become a quote victim from other people turning them down? <laughs> but it's like this idea didn't come out of a vacuum. I, I really think that it it its logic was found in these other ideas, right? Involuntarily poor, involuntarily sick, involuntarily lonely, whatever, right? And we can't have that, right? We have things so well. We've achieved such unimaginable levels of prosperity here in the first world in the year 2020 that it's an absolute injustice if we're not forcing everybody to care for the sick and care for the poor and to care for the lonely, I guess, and maybe even to care for the incels. Because why not? Why shouldn't they be taken care of also? Why shouldn't there be a government program that hires prostitutes to have sex with neckbeards or whatever the equivalent is for women, probably also neckbeards? It's, it's really hard to have respect for a person, especially for a fellow a fellow man who complains about this sort of thing. It really is. I, I, I can't feel any sympathy for it. It's just, it's just straight pathetic. Nobody owes you sex. Okay. And this belief that somebody, that the world, that life, that the universe owe you sex. And if you're not getting it, then you're a victim and there's some injustice happening is, is really quite, quite a rapey attitude to have. Right? It's really a rapey loser attitude to have. Nobody owes you a goddamn thing. 
especially sex. I think incels are just, they're just rapists who weren't hit as kids, right? Because if they were traumatized as kids, they would just be rapists. They would just be taking it because they wouldn't have any scruples about having their way with other people in, in this violent fashion, right? They wouldn't have any scruples because they wouldn't have any empathy for other people because that's what happens when you're traumatized as a child. You become broken in that way. You lose a big part of what it means to be human. You can get it back. I've managed to get it back. Many other people have, and it should be acknowledged. That's where the violence comes from. That's where the rage comes from when you're, when you're in a stressful situation. So that, maybe that's what incels are. Incels are just would-be rapists, you know, but for not having suffered any trauma as a child, so they're not thinking about using violence to get it. All right, that's just some weird thoughts on this totally weird and pathetic idea, I guess. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. <laughs> Please remember, don't hurt people, don't take their stuff, but also don't ask permission. You do you. Thank you so much for listening, and have a better day. Please send your comments and questions to everythingvoluntary at gmail.com. Please consider supporting this podcast and everythingvoluntary.com by setting up an automatic monthly donation at patreon.com forward slash EBC. One-time donations are also accepted at paypal.me forward slash everythingvoluntary. Will you do us a big favor? Will you rate and review this podcast wherever you're listening from? That really helps. And one more thing, please share the podcast with your friends. We really appreciate it. 